Right. Hey, Kurt. How's it going, Aaron? Good, good, good. Hey, um, nice to see you again. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you too. Uh, so, previously, on a problematic voice, mm -hmm. you had made mention of uh, talking about where the system of how we do church comes from. You said we'll cover that later. Sure. It's later. Do you want to cover that now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, you 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 made kind of vague reference to it. Catch us up a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, the the kind of conventional building-based system of, of, of church. Sure. Uh, what can you tell us? Sure. Um, and I think I was speaking in my own story uh, when I was preparing for ministry. I thought I was going to be a church planter. During that time of preparation, I was studying the early church, the New Testament church, trying to learn all I could so that we could have the kind of effectiveness that they had. Uh, that was my heart's desire. But I was viewing it all through the lens of, you know, traditional, conventional church and that system. The idea that, or the, you know, the system that has the things we've been talking about, the professional clergy, the buildings, the programs, the parking lots, the, you know, all of that. And um, I didn't realize at the time that that's not the system that the New Testament church was employing. It's not not what they did, you know, and when we when we stop and think about it, you know, there's nobody uh, building a building to house their uh, people or to have their gatherings in anywhere in the New Testament. Uh, we don't see a single person with the title of pastor. Uh, we see, of course, leadership. We see uh, it. What, I'm, I'm going to interrupt. You. I'm going to interrupt you every once in a while. Go right ahead. I, I, Absolutely, I hope that's okay. As, yeah, that uh, way we don't we don't see people you. with the title of pastor uh, of pastor, mm -hmm. and yet uh, we again. I, I need to. Yeah, yeah. You know, my skeptical mind just mm -hmm. goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But wait. But Jesus told Peter to shepherd people, and if feed, the word feed pastor, the sheep. if the word pastor means shepherd then um and, and and you had made mention of ephesians and the fivefold ministry and, mm -hmm. and and one of those gifts to the church being pastors so mm -hmm. before i just let you continue forward with right that, right mm -hmm. uh, give me a little pushback yeah yeah mm -hmm. so but it does talk about pastors so when you say we don't see the title of pastor being used in the New Testament, mm -hmm. what do you mean? Sure. What I mean by that is that we don't see a single person with that title. Like you don't say, uh, nobody called Peter, Pastor Peter. Nobody called Paul, Pastor Paul. Uh, what we tend to see in the New Testament is that those five-fold ministry gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and I'm going to say shepherd and teacher because... The shepherd is the word that's used there in the Greek. The same word that is translated shepherd 18 times in the New Testament, it's only translated pastor that one time. If the New Testament translators were translating, um, you know, doing a direct translation from the Greek, the word pastor wouldn't exist in the New Testament at all. Uh, but it's there because now I think it's there it seems like because the the pastoral role the position the job title was already in existence 
before people, you know, the, the modern translations were made. And so they put the word pastor in sort of like to justify what they're already doing. But what we see in the New Testament is that, for example, in, um, in Acts 13, it talks about the uh, leadership of the church at uh, Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were sent from. And it, it says that there were five leaders. I think that's interesting because there were five uh, leadership gifts. Now, I can't say for sure that one was an apostle and one was a prophet. The, the scripture also says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And it says it is built, not it was built. It's present tense. So to build the church, we still need people with the apostolic and prophetic gifts, as well as the gift of evangelism and the gift of shepherding and the gift of teaching. So you're absolutely correct that shepherding is a part of maturing the flock. But what we've done in our system is we've taken that shepherding role and we've elevated it to a, an exclusive kind of a position at the expense of the other roles. People who have the gift of evangelist and apostle and prophet, oftentimes those people don't even go to church because they don't feel like they fit there. They don't feel like they belong there because the system isn't really designed for them to function in their gifts because we've elevated this pastor position above the other leadership positions. If, if we were to use the terminology that you used earlier, um, what did you say, the business mm -hmm. of religion? religion. Mm -hmm. uh, when we say pastor in our context, we kind of means CEO. Absolutely. Yeah, it's there mm -hmm. is a there's a lead pastor, a chief executive officer. Right. Okay. And you're saying I I mean that that's I'm just trying to understand what you're saying. You're saying we don't see that kind of a CEO position yeah. in the church. Yeah, with an office, an actual, you know, building with a little room where they sit in there and prepare their sermons. Sermons are typically more spontaneous in the New Testament. Preaching in the New Testament is done to the lost. It's not done to the found. Uh, a lot of people use that terminology when they talk about, oh, that pastor is such a good preacher, but they're really talking about the teaching he's doing to people who are already, who are already saved. Um, so really, you touch on a good point. There are many people who have the title of pastor, the position, the salary, but they don't have the gift where God has maybe gifted them in teaching, maybe he's gifted them in administration, so they can kind of CEO this business, this religious business, but they don't have this gift of shepherding the sheep. And, you know, in our last segment, we talked about helping people learn how to learn from God. And if you think about what is a sheep, how does a sheep eat? Or who feeds a sheep? How does a, you know, how does a shepherd feed a sheep? They don't chew up the grass for them and then spit it out into little bowls and spoon feed it to them, do they? They just put the sheep in the green grass and the sheep feed themselves. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about let's get past this place where, and, and I talk to a lot of pastors who, and maybe you feel this way, you're a pastor, um, who say that they feel like a babysitter. In a lot of ways, they can't figure out why the people don't seem to mature, even though they're hitting them with good biblical truth week after week after week. The people just tend to sort of stay at this level of spiritual infancy. And part of the reason is because we're spoon feeding them. 
in my mind, I I picture congregations full of people in high chairs with their, you I, know. I can tell you that I react strongly against the, uh, the and I and I've I've heard it many times mm-hmm. uh, in in the uh, 13, 14 years that I've been pastoring. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm looking for a place that I can get fed. Yeah. Um, so I get what you're saying. I brought you off track a little bit um, because you were you were talking about where did our systems come from. So sure. we're we're you you are, we're contrasting our current uh, s- leadership structure with the New Testament leadership structure. Um, but let's get back to where did these? Where, how do we get here? Where did it come from? Sure. Uh, now this is this is difficult for some people to to really wrap their brain around. Sometimes, I mean, it's it's downright upsetting to people when they learn this reality. Uh, you know, I, I travel around the world and train pastors, and I have seen them run the gamut from tears to anger. Uh, some some are one one man in India said, "I've been sixty years. I've been." I've been working as a minister for God. I, I, you know, he was 20 something and he's about 80 years old and he was just mad because mm. he said, I spent 60 years thinking I'm supposed to be advancing this system that doesn't even have its origin in the New Testament. Okay. Just made him mad. So if you so, make, if you make me cry, uh-huh. that's going to be remarkable. Well, I appreciate the setup. I appreciate the warning. Yeah, I'm gonna try to hold it back. I'll try ahead. not to. I'll try not to make you cry. So or angry. So, but yeah, yeah, ahead. yeah. Well, don't you know? Don't hit me. Right. Um, but uh, no, the truth is that um, that in the New Testament times, the church was persecuted. So they met in secret. They met in uh, in hiding. Um, they did uh, meet in the temple, and people say, "Oh, look." The temple. There's. They met in a building. Well, that's true, but they didn't build that building, and they didn't own that building, and they didn't operate that building. And in fact, they were in danger in that building. They would get arrested there. They would get persecuted there. They were the minority coming into the, you know, coming into that building and saying things like, "You killed the author of life." You people who run this building. They were not welcome there. Uh, so, you know, this this was a public forum. So they were uh, meeting in public and from house to house. Paul uses those words in, I believe it's Acts 2.20. He says that I shared the, the gospel publicly and from house to house. So that's the, the two things we see, public, house to house. You don't see sanctuary space, you know, where the, the safe place where the Christians can gather. You know, a, a bird sanctuary is a safe place for birds, and a wildlife sanctuary is a safe place for wildlife. And a church sanctuary, the idea that we have a safe place to go gather, that's not a that's not found in the New Testament. You just don't see anybody doing that anywhere. You don't see anybody meeting in the same place two weeks in a row. Same place, same time. You know what I mean? We, we can infer, we can guess, we can maybe say, well, Maybe the people of Antioch did or didn't. So this, and this is a broad oversimplification. So for those of you who are listening, uh, I realize that there are a lot of things going on in the world in the formation of the church. But in a broad generalization, the church started in Jerusalem as simply followers of Jesus who made more followers of Jesus, obedient, reproducing disciples. 
And then 300 years later, I mean, it got to Rome before then, but about 300 years later, we have the Emperor Constantine. And Constantine claims to have become a Christian, claims to have, you know, come to Christ. Some There's debate over whether he was truly born again. Uh, he didn't get baptized until he was on his deathbed, which is kind of odd if he came to Christ, you know, many years earlier. But Constantine wanted to create this religion of Christianity. And so, but remember, before him, primarily the church is being persecuted. So they're meeting in secret. They're, they're, you know, they're small groups in homes. They're trying not to be found. They're trying not to be obvious. So he doesn't have an obvious example of what to follow as he develops his religion. Uh, I ask people, if president, the president of the United States were to, especially the one we have today, if he were to want to invent a religion, because he's probably the most powerful man on earth. At the time, Constantine was probably the most powerful man on earth. If he was going to invent a religion, would it just be sort of a halfway, kind of a ho-hum religion? You know, would it be, would he just kind of do a, a mediocre job of creating that religion? Or would he go all out and create the best religion the world's ever seen? Well, I know the answer that you want me to say. Mm -hmm. I, there are probably a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of podcasts that we could do theorizing about uh, sure. about that, but I, I imagine somebody who has a, 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 a solid gold restroom would, uh, would would go all out. Yes, and so that tends to be the consensus as I ask that question around the world. So Constantine was a guy like that who I'm the emperor. I'm the you know I, I think I'm the greatest man on earth. So he's going to create a religion. He's going to call it Christianity, but he can't look at any examples of the actual followers of Christ because they're, you know, trying to be in hiding and in secret. So he looked around at the pagan religions of Rome. He looked around at, well, how are these guys doing religion? And we'll just do it like them because it's the only example he had. So we can fault him a lot or we can fault him a little. But he said, well, they've got buildings. So we're going to have buildings. And so they, some, they took some of the pagan temples and they just renamed them as Christian temples. And then they said, well, they've got a guy in there called the priest, the pagan priest. So we'll have to have priests. And so they started, you know, every building has to have the priest that runs the religion in that building. They had altars. And on the altar was the sacrifice, usually an animal sacrifice. So he said, well, We'll have an altar and we'll put our sacrifice on it. And that's where the Eucharist comes from. We'll, we'll put Jesus on the altar every week, body and blood of Christ every week. And, you know, from they had schools to teach their priests how to run their religion. So he said, well, we'll have schools to teach our priests how to run our religion. And that's where we get our Bible schools and our seminaries from. You don't see any Bible schools or seminaries in the New Testament, but it comes from you know, this copying pagan religion uh, and right down to the priests wear special clothes so you can tell that they're the religious professionals. All of this stuff comes from copying the pagan religion of Rome in the time of Constantine, and it does not come from the New Testament model, the practices of the New Testament church. And so when people realize that, especially, you know, the more highly a person is invested in that system, the harder that is to, to realize, yeah. the more well, difficult. And, 
and part of what I hear you describing is is not just the pagan religions of that day, but when you talk about there's a there's a temple, there's a priest, there's sacrifices, an altar, there's special clothing for the priest. I mean, all that is Old Testament as well. Mm -hmm. That's 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 Judaism as well. Sure. Uh, so yeah, it is interesting to think. Yeah, why would why would the New Testament followers of Jesus just kind of recreate what Jesus had already fulfilled, and and yet we right just, we just continue that right when Jesus said it is finished on the cross I think that might be one of the things he was referring to okay the old covenant you know is finished so you're saying what we call traditional or conventional church mm -hmm. today what we know as as our uh, as our way of doing things is uh, looks more like what Constantine instituted it's a, yeah, it's a copy of the pagan religions of Rome, and that's what it looks like. That's where the Catholic Church comes from. That's how it got its, you know, start. And then from there, it spread, of course. The Catholic Church has tried to spread itself around the world, and it spread to Europe. And then uh, in Europe, it became institutionalized. So some people say, when it started in Jerusalem, it was a kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus is expanding around the world. It wasn't a religion. I don't think Jesus ever said, I came to start Christianity. You know, uh, it was for a foreign concept to his followers in the New Testament. But then, you know, got to Rome, got turned into a religion, got to Europe, got turned into an institution, and then the Europeans brought it to America and as we do with everything in America, we turned it into a business. We're highly motivated by the bottom line. And, uh, you know, I mean, we, we monetize the thing. How do we make this thing something where, you know, it can be financially uh, viable? And then we exported it to the world and told the rest of the world, this is how you do it. But it's not at all how it was done in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, and, and part of my challenge in planting a church is thinking about how to organize for effectiveness. We mm -hmm. want, you know, we want to, we want to be effective. We, mm -hmm. We're not just doing this to, to to spin our wheels. We want to see the kingdom of God expand. And uh, what I learned about organizing for effectiveness uh, really does look a lot like how businesses are organized it mm. just does mm -hmm. I sure I I'm I'm not necessarily gonna go undo all of that uh, if it continues to be effective but yeah if we're honest about it um, we can put we can put some names and some some labels on some of these things uh, essentially though you know we've got a we've got a board and we've got a staff mm -hmm. and uh, sure and that's the way a lot of uh, businesses operate yeah and and you know it is a tradition in the sense that there are many traditions so I don't think that traditions are in and of themselves bad uh, people ask me you know again so okay so this thing, because in our last session, we said, um, 
you know, we don't necessarily want to just throw away and just do away with the building-based, pastor-centered, program-oriented church system, but we want to help it develop into what God wants it to be. Even though it doesn't have its origin in the New Testament, it doesn't necessarily mean we should just bulldoze the whole thing. Uh, it means that we should take steps to make it effective. I'm, I'm thinking of Jesus' words in, um, in Matthew 15, verse 3. And he said, Why do you disregard the commands of God for the sake of your traditions? And I think if he came into our churches today, I think he would ask us the same question, into our you know building-based churches. Because, you know, in that system, there's three things that are required of people. Typically, and, and if I was doing a training, I would ask, what are the three things, that, the big three that, that you want from your congregation, from your members? And usually the very first thing they say is, well, Sunday morning church attendance. That's, that's key. That's got to be there. And then, of course, we want them to tithe or at least give a portion of their income to our ministry, you know, to the local church. People use that terminology. And then they want them to volunteer somewhere, some, some way, to, you know, lead worship, teach Sunday school, print the bulletins, weed the flower beds, do something so that you're physically, you know, involved. Your time during the week is involved in this place this system time talents treasures yeah there you go well and and it's it's a little disheartening when people realize that those are the three things that are required by every religion in the world if you're a muslim they want you to come to their meetings give some money and volunteer somehow if you're a hindu they want you to come to the meetings come to temple you know give some of your money and volunteer somehow if you're a buddhist Come to the meetings, give some money, and volunteer somehow. Kurt, I just heard something on the radio, the, uh, a documentary being made about the, uh, the, the Church of Satan in, in America. Mm. And, um, and, and The people, same three? People talking about going to a meeting of the Church of, uh, of Satan and, and describing it, and the person doing the interview who's, um, who, who's not involved in, uh, in, in, in religion said, well, uh, that sounds a lot like church. And they said, yeah, it, it is. is a lot like church. <laughs> like, yeah. Who are you worshiping? Oh, oh, no. Right. So, see, none of those things go to a Sunday morning service, give a percentage of your income to that institution, or volunteer in their programs are found among the commands of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, I think, would stand and look around at what we're doing and say, Why? Why are you ignoring my commands in favor of your traditions? In other words, we're making our traditions of go to church and give money and volunteer more important than obeying the commands of Jesus. And oftentimes I'll say that and people say, no, 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 that can't be true in my church. That can't be true in my system. And I'll say, well, okay, how do you know if your members are loving their enemies? Because Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus said... If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Jesus said, do not resist an evil person. Jesus said, go preach the gospel to the whole world. Yeah. Do we have any, any systems in place to make sure that our members are actually obeying Jesus? Or are our systems set up just to make sure they're obeying our traditions? It would be fascinating and, and perhaps horrifying to take an inventory of what churchgoers are saying 
on social media and putting that side by side with the commands of Jesus about how we're to interact with our world, mm -hmm. uh, with, with lost people, with family, with other people uh, yeah. with, within, the, within the church. Yikes. Yeah. Wow. On the break, I was thinking about Colossians. This will, I, I, we're probably about out of time. But Colossians 4, 5, and 6, Jesus said that you should, or Paul said, you know, Jesus is uh, Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, said uh, that we should make the most of every opportunity as we interact with lost people in the way we act and the way we speak. And now we speak through our fingers a lot. We text and we, you know, tweet and message and um, the way that we present ourselves to the world we're supposed to do it in a way that's wise so that we can make the most of every single interaction and in our social media driven world we have more opportunities to do that than ever mm -hmm. but are we doing it for the glory of God and for the expanding of the kingdom or are we doing it for the glory of self well, yeah, I think you're right. I think this is a uh, this is a good point for us to uh, to wind things down, mm -hmm. and uh, and and as we uh, prepare for our, uh, our our next time together, we'll think about uh, that kind of traditional building based system and and explore the New Testament and say, well, what would the New Testament have us do that Jesus would recognize as his ecclesia, as his church? Thank you, Kurt. Excellent, excellent. And then I want to tell a story about a young girl named Esther to next time to make that point. That sounds great. Awesome. All right. Thank you. All right. Praise the Lord.